Luke chapter number 15, I just want to read a few verses to you this morning, beginning in verse number 3. The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto them, now this is talking about our Lord, of course, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, boy, I like this, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, we might say, well, who is this talking about? What's it talking about? And that's what I love about the Word of God. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to get man's opinion on it. The Word of God tells us what's being spoken of. In verse number 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you would just magnify your word this morning. God, help us to lift up the high and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us in the preaching. Give us unction and power, Lord, both for me to preach and to hear, and then for those that are in the congregation to hear. Father, help us to worship this morning, and help us to give you the glory for it. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary, Lord, and we'll be sure to thank you for it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I would say there's not very many of us that have not read this little ensemble of verses in Luke chapter 15. You five probably spent a lot of time, in fact, in Luke chapter 15. You probably read the story of the prodigal son quite a bit. But this little story, I believe, is sometimes neglected as we preach in Luke chapter 15. Uh, maybe it's because of the brevity of this story. Just a few verses given here. But my, what a powerful truth that is presented to us. And as we study the Word of God, it's not a far stretch the imagination to put the pieces together of what's being spoken of here. The Bible says in verse number 7 that the sheep pictures just a poor, lost sinner. Do you know that sinners don't even know they're lost? You know, a sheep doesn't even know they're lost when they're lost. Do you know that a sheep is so domesticated, it is, a sheep is the only naturally domesticated being. Did you know that? A sheep cannot survive without someone to provide for it. Every other animal that you'll find in nature has some type of defense mechanism. They can survive in some way on their own. But if you study a sheep, you'll find that a sheep has no ability to survive in and of themselves. A sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. And imagine with me, if you will, what's going through this sheep's mind as it gets out and it's lost. It doesn't even know that it's lost. It doesn't know where it's at doesn't even know that anything's wrong yet. Do you know that's how the sinner is? Do you know the sinner doesn't even know anything's wrong until he's died and gone to hell most of the time? Are you, are you here with me this morning? I know, listen, I know I've been gone for a week and I come back and you say, my goodness, I didn't know he was that ugly. But it's okay. We'll get through it this morning, all right? Just help me a little bit. I, I need help. I've been out a week. I need help and you probably need help too. So just help me a little bit this morning. It'll make it all go just a little bit smoother. The sinner doesn't even know he's lost until the Spirit of God shows him that he's lost. And there's a lot of people that die and go to hell not knowing a thing is wrong until they wake up in hell. That's how the sheep is. Sheep doesn't even know that he's lost. Has no capacity for understanding the magnitude of the situation. Doesn't that just sound like a lost sinner? Isn't it funny how lost sinners, I mean, they won't listen. They won't laugh over a puppy dying or a seal dying. You hear me this morning? They won't laugh over that. That's serious business. Now, they don't care to abort a baby. 
Am I right? I mean, I don't, you know, that don't bother them one bit. I mean, because, you know, you look at them little puppies and them little monkeys and seals. I mean, look how human they look. Now, a baby, he, you know, he don't look so human, does he? I mean, isn't that pitiful? Doesn't that show you how rotten to the core this hell-bound world is? And they'll get upset over that. But now, when you start talking about hell, the sinner will laugh at that. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't think hell's real. It doesn't think God's real. It doesn't think hell's real. It doesn't think heaven's real completely oblivious to the magnitude of the situation. And you try to explain to a sinner, and by the way, without the power of God, there's no way a sinner can understand. I mean, there's just no way. The Bible says they're blinded. You say, how does someone get unblinded? God's got to unblind them. God's got That's done by the power of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart and life. That's the only way it can happen. So we find that this sheep is a picture of the poor sinner. Well, who does that make the shepherd? Well, now, we might say, well, the shepherd is the Holy Spirit. I, you know, I can understand that. Except the Bible says in John chapter number 10, Christ called himself the good shepherd, didn't he? And some might say, well, you know, the shepherd is God the Father. But now, here's the problem with that, friend. The Father did not leave heaven and go searching after the sheep. And so I think just being logical and scripturally honest about it, we can assume only that this shepherd that is being spoken of must be the Son of God, the Lamb slain, Jesus Christ. It's the only person it could be. Now you say, well, what is the wilderness? Well, I don't think that's pretty hard to understand. The wilderness is a picture of this sin-sick world. That's where he found me. I don't know where he found you, but that's where he found me. He found me in the world. Now you say, well, preacher, you're a 10-year-old boy. I mean, how much of the world was you into? Enough to die and go to hell? That's how much I was born into this world. Born a sinner, born on my way to hell. And so the wilderness is a picture of the world. And so I just want to notice a few things this morning. And I promise you, I'm not going to keep you long. I want you to notice, first off, the seeing of the Savior. Look again with me in our text. Look at verse number 4. The Bible says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now, let let me just speak personally here. And everybody's a little bit different, you know. Some people, you ever heard someone that say, I'm bad with names, but if I see a face, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. You ever heard someone like that? That's not me. All right? I'm not good with names. I'm not good with faces. I'm not good with social security numbers if i got a list right in front of me. Okay? That's just how I am. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good with things like that. And when I see a sheep, I, I see a sheep. You know what I mean? Does that make sense to you? I mean, when I see a sheep, that's all I see. And I might see ten sheep, and I couldn't tell you one from the other. I might see 50 sheep, and I sure couldn't tell you one from another. But let me tell you something, friend. If I saw 100 sheep standing in a flock together, I wouldn't see nothing but a big Q-tip. That's all I'd say. I wouldn't see a thing. I couldn't tell you one from the other. Do you know that the Bible teaches that, that shepherds in that day, and I believe it's still true this day, see, they're a little bit different. They love their flock. They can tell each and every individual sheep. I see sheep, and I just see sheep. But when the shepherd, he sees sheep, he sees them individually. The Bible teaches in this passage that this shepherd had a hundred sheep and only one of them went astray. I wouldn't even notice it. I mean, if it was me, honestly, I wouldn't even notice if one little sheep went astray. But do you know that's not our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It shows that the Son of God, he saw this sheep. And, and, and by way of analogy, he sees each and every sinner. Now, you may be here this morning. You may be as saved as saved can be. Can I tell you that your lost loved ones and friends and family members, it don't matter if this world doesn't care if they're lost. The Son of God cares that they're lost. He sees them. He is perceptive to their needs. 
Maybe you're here today and you say, well, now, preacher, I mean, you know, I, I don't even know that I'm saved. And, and who would care about me? Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like who would care about me? It's all right. You can raise your hand if you felt that way. I felt that way before. I mean, and maybe it's justified, maybe it's not, but sometimes we get to feel like, who could care about me? It's ironic. I always look at the public school system. There isn't much more, and if this offends you, just be offended, but there isn't much more corrupt an institution in the world today than America's public school system. And you say, well, preacher, I, you know, I teach, or I used to be a teacher, I've got a, a mother or a brother. Well, God bless you. Try to, try to get some Bible in them while you're in that den of iniquity. But it doesn't change the fact that it, it, it's still a corrupt institution. And I think about all the things that the public school system try to do to make kids feel like they are important. And they pay millions and sometimes billions of dollars a year to provide counseling and resources and all these things to try to convince these kids that they mean something to somebody. Do you know why that is? Because the world can't give them that. The world can't make them, and the public school system can't make them feel that way. Let me tell you what makes you feel special. All right? We're going to go Dr. Phil here. You ready? I mean, I'm going to make you feel special. The Son of God loves you. That's something. I mean, that's something. That's big. That's big. That's, that's bigger than Dr. Phil could give me, Brother Al. That's bigger than Oprah. God, help us, Oprah. That's bigger than Oprah could give us. I mean, that's bigger. Ricky Lake, whatever happened to her? I think she lost so much weight she disappeared. I think that's what happened. That's something bigger than Ricky Lake could give you. I mean, that's, that's the real deal. The Son of God sees us. All of these sheep, one went astray. He cared enough to go after that one. I don't know if this means much to you, but friend, it means something to me to know that the Son of God would have bore the cross of Calvary for my sins and my sins alone if they had been the only ones. I mean, hallelujah that they're not. Praise His holy name that salvation is full and free for any and all. But if it had just been for me, he would have still done it. He saw me. He didn't just see a 10-year-old boy. He saw a soul. He saw someone on their way to hell. Maybe it's you. He saw, he saw a 7-year-old child or an 8-year-old child or a 9-year-old child. Maybe a 6-year-old child or a 5-year-old child or a 4-year-old child. You say, child can't get saved at 6. You'll have to argue with my wife. I think they can get saved when they come to an age where they can understand the gospel. Don't you believe that? I, I think, I don't believe in any set age of accountability, but I do believe that uh, there comes a point in a child's psyche when they can comprehend that they're a sinner and that Christ died for them and paid their sin debt. Don't try to mark down a particular age. You'll find somebody that will mess it up for you. Uh, but maybe it was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old. The sheep don't ever get too old for the shepherd to save them. They don't ever get too old for the shepherd to save them. He saw these sheep. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only his seeing of the sheep, but his seeking of the sheep. The Bible says that he left these 90 and 9 there in the wilderness. And hey, uh, let me tell you something. And, and I'm not trying to be ugly when I say this, but I find it interesting that he left the ninety and nine sheep. Now, these were the just persons which need no repentance. He left them in the wilderness to go seek sheep. You know, I kind of get put out sometimes with some of these pharisaical, self-righteous people. They don't want you reaching lost people because they're afraid they're going to dirty up their church. You better be careful. That's a way to get your church worldly in a hurry. When you lose your burden for souls, I mean, friend, he'll leave you in the wilderness to go after the one that's lost and gone astray. The Bible says that he went, oh, what a, what a beautiful picture, in the wilderness. Left the safety of the fold, safety of the flock, 
and left and went into the wilderness. Do you know that's a picture of the Son of God? We will never fully comprehend the condescension of the Son of God. Well, never. Until we see the glories of heaven, we'll never understand. Until you see what he left, you'll never grasp how far he went. And when you consider all that the Son of God had, that he left to go out into a sin-sick world. The Bible says he came unto his own, but his own received him not. You know, the wilderness is typically a hostile place. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I, I don't think you're dumb this morning, okay? I'm not trying to just say obvious things, but, but sometimes I think we don't correlate it. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I kind of live out in the country a little bit. Like, to me, out in the country is like that we got like a subway but no McDonald's. That's out in the country to me. Some of you all live further out than that, and that's, God bless you, that's wonderful. But there's very few of us, that, and I know there's going to be fellas come up to me afterwards and say, Preacher, you don't know me. I'd love I'd get out there. I'd hunt elk and reindeer and raccoons and wolverines. Now, I know, I understand, but most of us want to live in the vast wilderness. You understand what I mean? Uh, not in the vast wilderness. I mean, it's one thing to live out and have 10, 12, 15, 30, 100, 150 acres. Another thing, friend, to be out somewhere where they got to pop the sunshine in. That's totally different. The wilderness is a hostile place. It's full of predators. It's full of intrinsic dangers. It's a hostile environment. The weather is typically harsher. I, I'm saying this. It was a serious thing when Christ came to this world. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He was hated in this world from, from before he was born into this world. I mean, when Herod found out that there was a child that was being born that was to be the king of the Jews, he hated him and sought to destroy him. And friend, all the way from the cradle to the cross, the Son of God was hated and in a hostile environment. What do you reckon he did that for? The Bible says in Matthew's account of this in chapter 18 of the book of Matthew, right before it, what a beautiful intro to it, right before it. You know what verse is found? You know what verse is found? It says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came looking for you. He came looking for me. Can I say not only by his condescension uh, from heaven, but could I say by the conviction of the Holy Ghost, he came seeking after you and after me. I don't know, maybe I'm getting in, in trouble here when I say this, but I still believe in the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Still believe in that. Now, I don't think we need to try to overdefine it in a sense of trying to make it uh, absolutely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think we need to try to make it synonymous with emotional experience. I don't think we need to try to make it synonymous uh, with some kind of emotional expression. But I do believe in the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that it takes the Spirit of God to show a sinner that he's a sinner. I believe he's blinded, and I believe that uh, his mind is blinded from the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that veil must be lifted. I believe his mind must be made clear. I believe he must see. And I remember, friend, clear as day. You may have a different experience, but, but I'll tell you what my experience was. I mean, it was like somebody turned a light on. I mean, I was a 10-year-old boy. I, it's not like I hit the bottom of the pig trough, friend. I was a 10-year-old boy in my bedroom alone. There wasn't nobody there to push me through a prayer. There wasn't nobody there to try to uh, drag me down a Roman's road. I was sitting by myself in my bedroom, and like God turned a light switch on, I said, I'm on my way to hell. I'm on my way to hell. I mean, God made it known to me. You say, preacher, are you against all those different tools? No, let's use all the tools we can get. I mean, let's use all the tools we can get. But let's understand the power of God must be present to work in the lives of sinners as well. He came seeking me and came seeking you. I, I don't know, this is just a little bit of sanctified imagination, so be patient with me. But, I, you know, if he's got the stars named, 
I kind of bet he's got the sheep named. And I, I kind of think he probably, I, mean, I don't know how you look for stuff, but if I'm looking for something or looking for somebody, I, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> when you meet a lot of people, sometimes you'll use pronouns to keep from getting in trouble. Do you know what I mean? You'll look, hey, you, buddy, <laughs> how are you? You know, but, you know, God's not like that. He don't use pronouns. He uses proper nouns. He doesn't just say you. He says your name. I'm thankful for whosoever, and I believe in whosoever. And I believe that any and all can be saved that are willing to come to the cross of Calvary. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that, friend, like I believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow. In fact, I believe it more. But let me say that I thank the holy God of heaven that he also knew my name personally. I'm glad it's a whosoever salvation, but I'm glad it's a Toby Weber salvation too. I kind of think that this shepherd may have come along and started calling that sheep's name when he was seeking it, calling to it. Working, can I even use the word manipulating? Trying to beckon that sheep into his presence. Not only do we see the seeing of the sheep and the seeking of the sheep, but we see the saving of the sheep. You know what? The shepherd showed up. The shepherd showed up. Now, you may say, well, yeah, preacher, of course, we wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't. But hey, friend, I wouldn't be here talking about it if he didn't show up. I mean, what we have here is, it'd be one thing if the shepherd just went out seeking. But the shepherd did not just seek the sheep, he saved the sheep, he found the sheep, he had power to rescue the sheep. And I'm trying to say to you this morning that if you're lost and undone, the only thing that keeps you from the cross of Calvary is you, because the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and His ears are not heavy that they cannot hear, but your iniquity has separated you from your God. He's able. I mean, the shepherd is able to find. The shape of the shepherd is able to save. He's still able to save today. What a magnificent power is Bible Christianity. What a magnificent power is the cross of Calvary. After 2,000 years, its luster has not uh, waned. Its power has not diminished. Its impact has not lessened. That even to this day, the same cross of Calvary that saved my parents and their parents before them and their parents before them and on and on back to the foot of Calvary's mountain can still save today. It still has power. It still has power. Preacher, my kids are just too far gone. What are they, five days dead? Because <laughs> four days didn't bother the Lord. You say, preacher, you don't understand. My kids, my family, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. Preacher, you don't understand how bad they are. Paul said, I'm the chiefest. I'm the worst. You say, you don't, have, you don't know how far lost my little sheep is. No, but I, I know how far reaching the shepherd is. I know how far reaching. You say he won't go that far. I always like Richard and Joy singing that song. And I don't know, man. It, it, it's they, they must have carved the lyrics to that song in Kentucky Coal. You can tell when they sing it. They sing that a cappella. And they'll say, he went a little farther. And you read it, I believe it's in Matthew's account, whenever they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he has the James and, and, and uh, John and Peter beside him. And he takes them and he sets them down there in the garden. And he says, I want you to watch with me and pray a little while. And I like what the Bible says. It does not give us a specific definition of what a little further was. The Bible says a stone's throw, but does not tell us a location. I kind of think that's like Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how far gone you are, Brother Ralph. He'll go a little further, a little further, a little further, a little further. We see the saving of the shepherd. I like this. We see the securing of the shepherd. 
What did he do when he got there? That's a pretty important question. What are you going to do when you come face to face with the Son of God? And what's he going to do with you? Well, I can say that what he does with you depends upon what you do with him. When you come face to face with the Son of God, if you turn him away, you turn him away enough times, you're going to wake up in hell one of these mornings. So I don't believe that. Well, you will one day. You will one day. You may not believe it now. You may go out of this world not believing it, but when you go into the next, you will. You will believe it. There, hey, listen, there's no atheists in hell. There's no atheists in hell. They might have been atheists this side of hell, but once they got to hell, they believed. They knew. What's he going to do with you? The Bible says that he, he picked it up and he laid it on his shoulders. What a beautiful thought. That tells me something. See, here's this sheep, Brother Ralph, and this sheep is helpless. This sheep can't do anything for itself. It can't find its way home. It can't defend itself. It cannot do anything. But once it's laid upon the shoulders of the shepherd, its protection and its defense is totally vested in the shepherd's ability. You see, now the shepherd showed up. Before, the sheep was absolutely vulnerable to wolves or to predators of any kind or uh, maybe to slipping and falling and breaking a leg or disease or uh, not being able to find a source of water or a source of food and all these various dangers. I mean, could we say that the sheep, before the shepherd found it, the sheep was absolutely hopeless and helpless? I think that's accurate to say, don't you? But now that the shepherd's shown up, it doesn't matter what the sheep was, and it doesn't matter what the sheep is, because the sheep is upon the shoulders of the shepherd. Now the ability and power and defense of the shepherd is what's keeping the sheep. Do you know that when you got saved by the grace of God, it wasn't you that saved you. You didn't help save you. You didn't do a little bit of saving you. You had no part in saving you except to allow your will to be surrendered. That's it. You, you didn't. God didn't save you on some kind of uh, on some kind of partisan plan where you you know you paid a little bit and he paid a little bit. I heard a fellow say one time, I didn't know enough at the time to get mad. I know enough now. I could probably get mad. Isn't that how the spirit of God works? He don't let you get mad at people. But uh, you know, I, I remember talking to a fellow one time, and I, I told him, I said, Well, I believe the Bible says that salvation is by grace, and it does, and it still does. He said, well, you know, I believe Jesus died for our sins, but I believe then we have to do our best. See, there's a problem with that. You know, the Bible addresses that, Brother Ralph, because people have been saying that for a lot of years. This isn't a new thing. And people have always been trying through their good works to attain salvation and to attain heaven. And so you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that if it be of grace, then it is no more of works. And if it be of works, then it is no more of grace. Let me, let me tell you something. And, this, and if you realize the impact of this, it, it, it might, I don't know, it might make some of you mad if you realize the impact of it. Any mixture of grace and works is heresy. Any mixture of grace and works is insufficient to save a man. If it be of grace, it's no more of works. If it be of works, it is no more of grace. It does not say if it be of grace, then it shouldn't be any more of works. Or if it be of works, then it shouldn't be any more of grace. It gives a defined, definite truth. You can have salvation by grace or you can have hell by works. Those are your only two options. Only two options. So we find that you had no part in saving yourself. You didn't pick yourself up. You hear people say this, and the world will use this terminology a lot. Well, you know, I, I lifted myself up by my own bootstraps. You know why people say that? Because it's impossible. That's why, Brother Ralph. They use that as a, as a turn of speech because it's impossible to do. Have you ever tried it? I hope not. That's a waste of time. Sometimes I'll be putting on them ropers and it'll feel like that's what I'm trying to do. 
No, it's impossible. You didn't do anything to save yourself. You didn't help save yourself. Now, here's the blessed truth. Listen to me. This is so practical. If I didn't do anything to earn my salvation, I guess I can't do anything to lose my salvation. It's a free gift. And you might say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. I, you know, uh, that may be true, except somebody can give me a gift and I can still lose that gift. You know, that's true, except the Bible says that we are kept by the power of God under the day of salvation. We're sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise, the earnest of our redemption. You see, it might have been if the shepherd had let the sheep down, he might have wandered off again. <laughs> but he wasn't going nowhere while he was strapped to the back of that shepherd. And you, as a child of God, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you can't lose your salvation because you don't own your salvation. It's owned by Him. It's kept by Him. It's possessed by Him. You are eternally secure by the grace of God if you've been saved. If you've been saved. Let me give you one final thing. I'm going to hush. I don't even know if I'll preach my outline this morning. We see the shouting. Oh, boy. We see the shouting of the shepherd. I know. A lot of churches don't like this today. They don't like this because they don't think they can control it. Let me say, there is a difference between fire and wildfire. And let me say that, that spiritual control is not being out of control. And spiritual control is always scriptural control. There's nothing wrong with shouting. There's nothing wrong with getting happy in the Lord. This is a new invention in independent Baptist churches that shouting is a taboo thing. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm not again shouting, but I'd never do it. Let me tell you something. Everybody ought to do it once. That's what old Bob Jones Sr. said. He said, everybody ought to get in the glory once. And there's a lot of people ought to do it once just to prove they will do it. Amen? I know we're not okay when I say that. I understand that. But it's true just the same. You say, I'm just not that type. You know, I want neither until the Lord saved me. You say, you know, I preacher, I'm just not the emotional type. Listen, it ain't about emotions. But, you know... We're saved by the grace of God. That's something to be emotional about. We can be emotional about everything in the world. I mean, listen, we can be emotional about this. We can be, hey, if you don't think emotions are natural, come home. I got a newborn and a wife that's just had a baby. All right? Emotions are natural. They ought not govern us. But that doesn't mean they can't glorify him. What did the shepherd do? He takes his sheep and he goes home. And he starts calling his neighbors and his friends and his family. And he says, I want you to come and just rejoice with me. This sheep was lost. And, and you know, I, <laughs> I, I kind of imagine his neighbors coming. And I don't know, I understand this is, this is we're getting into left field here. But I, I, I mean, if it had been me, I don't even know my neighbors all that well. Most of them I don't like. But, you know, if it had been my neighbors, the first thing they said probably is, who are you? Do you do you live in this neighborhood? I ain't never home. And, and then they would have said, why, it's just a little old sheep. Look at the 99 over there. It's just a little old sheep. And I can kind of hear the shepherd look at those neighbors and say, yeah, but you don't love him like I do. You don't love him like I do. You don't love him like I do. He don't mean to you what he means to me. Just a little old sheep. You got 99 more. Yeah, but I didn't have that one. And I love that one. I, I can kind of hear, hear the Son of God. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, not everybody's going to be saved. And that's true. That's true. Not everybody's going to be saved. I understand that. And sometimes it's easy to look. And, you know, you look at little ones and you think, well, that's just a little old kid. I was a little old kid. Christ died for little old kids. 
Or you look at the drunk and you say, well, that's just a drunk. Ain't worth nothing to society. Well, he may not, but he, he's worth something to the Savior. Because Christ died for that drunk. And Christ died for that prostitute. Christ died for that little child. Christ died for that pharisaical church going self-righteous nobody. Christ died for them. Sometimes we get in the ditch on both sides. Sometimes there's some people get in the ditch. They don't want to have nothing to do with, with uh, the, the poor, lost, dirty, filthy sinner. And then there's other people getting the other ditch. They don't want nothing to do with the Pharisees. Hey, they may be a Pharisee, but Christ died for them. They may be a Pharisee. They may be legalistic, but Christ died for them. They may be self-righteous, but Christ... Hey, so was the Apostle Paul. It means something to God when somebody gets saved. It ought to mean something to us. I mean, it ought to be important to us. It ought to make a difference. That ought to be our focus. That ought to be our goal. I mean, I understand that our purpose is to be to the glory of God. But our work that He's given us to do is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friend, if you want to get in on the work of God, you're going to have to get in on the work of soul winning. That's the only way it's going to happen. If you want to get in on the work of God, you're going to have to get in the soul business. It excites God when people get saved. We have it every year at camp. And listen, let me say this. I understand the sentiment. I've been around camp enough, and I know some of you have been around camp enough that you have seen kids that have got on fire and then just, I mean, like the little boy that was taken of a demon just in the fire and in the water. I understand that. But let us guard ourselves. We got camp coming up less than 200 days away. We got camp coming up last year to the glory and praise of a thrice holy God. We had 14 saved last year. That was God that did that, not me, not anybody else. Praise the Lord for our workers and everybody that had a hand. It couldn't have been done without them, but it was God that did it. And it's easy sometimes, you know, to look at them and say, that's just camp fever, they'll get over that. God help us when we are so backslid that we can't get excited over somebody getting saved. Something wrong with that, friend. You say, well, you ain't got no right. Well, you ain't right. Amen? I mean, that's as scriptural as it gets. God rejoices over sinners coming to know Christ, and His children ought to rejoice over it too. You can cut that however you want it, but that's the fact of the matter. I know it bothers people. Some, some people, it's topic of shouting and getting happy and getting beside ourselves. But it's a biblical truth. There's shouting in heaven. There's rejoicing. I don't know where we get this idea that rejoicing is this little calm reserve. Like, like we're, you know, we're just sitting here. Well, I'm rejoicing. You know, I'm rejoicing. This is good. This is good what's happening here. I'm happy. I'm pleased. When you think of the word rejoice, you hear the word joy. Right? And you say, well, you know, I, I, I said a little bit. Well, uh, we're not talking about rejoicing. We're talking about rejoicing. Over and over and over over what God's done in our lives and in the lives of others. This is a biblical practice. If we're going to be a New Testament church, we're going to have to be a rejoicing church because it is a biblical practice and a biblical truth. And we can attribute it to culture and we can attribute it to just trying to be old-timey or whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is when you see a New Testament church, you see a rejoicing and a praising and a worshiping and a glorifying God church. That's what you see. That's what you see. It excites God. It ought to excite us. It burdens God. So it ought to burden us. You may be here this morning. You may say, preacher, you know, I just, I, I'm going to be honest. I've lost my burden for souls. You wouldn't be the first. Can I tell you a secret? There's been times this preacher has. And, and probably going to be times again he will if his flesh proves to be as influential as it has at times in his life. Can I say that that burden, the beautiful thing about it, 
is all you have to do is get your eyes back on the Savior and His love and compassion for lost souls. And do you know that you can get that burden back? You know where the burden comes from? And I, I, I promise you, I'm done. I ain't got to preach in a week. You've got to be patient. You know where the burden comes from? Several times in the New Testament, the Bible says concerning our Lord and Savior, when He saw them, He had compassion on them. When He looked upon them, He was moved with compassion. We've got to get our heads out of the sand, and we've got to start seeing a lost and dying world in need of Calvary, in need of the Word of God, in need of Christians that will make an impact through their personal testimony in their lives. We've got to look upon them. When he exhorted his disciples in John chapter number 4 to gain a burden, and that's what he did. There he was, standing, talking to a Samaritan woman. He had sent her away with rejoicing in her hearts to go and find those that did not know of Calvary, to go and tell them of a man that told her all things that ever she did. His disciples had been away, and they must have been Baptists because they was away eating lunch, amen? And so they come back, and, and they said, Master, you've not eaten anything. He said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The problem was they lacked a burden. You know how he remedied that? He said, Lift up your eyes, look upon the harvest. Look upon the field. Look. We've got to start looking. We've got to start seeing people as in need of Calvary. We start seeing people that way, we'll start trying to reach people. We start trying to reach people, we'll start seeing people saved. We start seeing people saved, we'll have something to rejoice about, won't we?